So the source of discouragement can be external and it can be internal. So it can be, man, we just live in a world where stuff happens. Like it does, it just happens. It's out of our control. And there might be people that are doing things that are really disappointing. You know, you might be rooting for them and they're disappointing you or they might be doing something to you that is legitimately not okay. And that's, and that's disappointing. Uh, you know, it, it, it might feel mean and it might be mean and that's disappointing and they might not be stopping. You know, well, I forgave them and then they just did it again and that's discouraging. So it can be something from an external source and it can also be something from an internal source. It can be something that, a, a, an internal narrative that you continually run in your mind. You'll never make it. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not prepared enough. You're not educated enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not old enough. You're not young enough. You're not enough. You're not enough you're not enough you're not enough and then pretty soon you're disappointed and then that leads to a place of like hey, I'm just not enough and you agree with that thought and you move into this place of I'm so discouraged now dis disappointment with a lack of hope can land you in discouragement discouragement when you can't manage it well when you when you land it in and you can't actually move beyond it can lead to greater emotional things you can go disappointment discouragement you can land in depression there's all kinds of other things so it is really important for us to learn how to deal with discouragement and the Bible gives us some really great instructions and it's also going to help us in the story that we're going to talk about today to understand why it's so important I read a statistic it was a pastoral study they do it every year so I kind of follow it every year and so at the end of 2021 they did this pastoral survey and they asked all these pastors you know how are you doing what are you doing what's the hardest part of your life or whatever and the study came back that almost 40 percent of pastors that are pastors right now want to quit they're ready to leave the ministry almost 40 percent are thinking about leaving the ministry now these are men who feel like they were called these are men who are willing to give up everything, go into the ministry, serve people. Last I checked, the pastor was still part of the five-fold ministry, right? God is still calling men into ministry, men and women into pastoral ministry. And so the, here's an interesting statistic on that statistic. Out of that 40%, half of them are under 35. Half of them are young people who are looking into the future of the church without hope. And this is why it's, they're discouraged. And this is why it's so dis important that we as Christians learn to deal with that discouragement. Because if it's hitting our pastors, if it's hitting our leaders, if it's hitting, it, it's, we know that discouragement is alive and well, not just in the church, but also in our world today. So it is really important. So the source can be external, it can be internal. Now I asked the Lord, Remind me, give me, give me something like there's been, you know, we can all sit and go, I can give you three times in my life where I was really bummed out. I was really discouraged where I really lost hope in something or someone. So as I was really praying about this and I was, I was thinking about it, the Lord brought something to mind story about great discouragement and it wasn't a just it was a discouragement. Yes, I was in the middle of it, but it was really my heart pouring out for someone else. You see a number of years ago, 
maybe like 10 years ago or something, it, it was that. I was involved in the rescue of small children, like we're talking babies, toddlers, under 10 years old, who were currently being um, trafficked. They were in sex, they were involved in sex trafficking. They were being sold. And there was a little girl that I'd found and we're trying to get her free. She was in another country and it was just months. It, like I, I found her, had to come home. We couldn't get her free. There was all these legalities in the country that were stopping it. There was just tons of miracles that needed to happen in order for this little girl to get free. But she was being sold as a prostitute at six years old in an AIDS village in the middle of a jungle by her mom. And so it just created all of this problem. So, so I'm trying, I'm trying, I come home, I'm trying, we're trying all these different avenues to get this little girl free. No, we're just having no success. And so I tell my husband, I don't know, it's like f six months after or whatever, I'm going and I'm, and I'm not coming back until she's free. He's like, absolutely, go, go. I'm like, I'm just, I'm gonna buy a one-way ticket and I'm gonna figure this out. And so now I'm pouring, like, this is time off from work, time my kids were teenagers, time off from the kids, time off from church, money, like air, for, I am flying to the other side of the world, but I just cannot, I'm just, I know that God is in this. I know that God wants her freedom. I know that God can't be happy. I know that God is for this. And so I fly all the way over there and I'm sitting and I'm praying and we just, we start to see miracles. Like there's a miracle, oh man, there's a miracle. Oh man, there's a miracle. Oh, this is so good, like we're getting our hopes up so high and the last thing that needed to happen though was this mother had to sign off one paper in front of a government person who we found miraculously the village chief a long-lost relative who she had no idea where her family was but this little girl was the main source of this very very elderly mom's life livelihood Without her, she could not live. She could not eat. She could not pay her rent. And so there was a moment, we get to the very end, and we're like, just sign the paper. Just sign the paper. And so she's, there's a moment where she's like hunkered down under their, their huts or, you know, five feet or so under the ground. There's a hammock, and she's got the little girl. She's protecting her, and the whole village is standing around, and they're screaming and yelling, and she needs to sign this paper. And she's, I'm not going to sign it. And I'm so discouraged. I'm like, every cent, all my time, all this, like we had miracle after miracle after miracle, like how could you do this? God, this makes no much sense. No sense. Where are you? Like why would you do, why would you make me see this? Why would you make me know this? And everybody is just like the government workers like, sorry, you know, I guess you're going to just have to go home. I'm like, I'm not. I'm so discouraged. This is never going to happen. This mother is never going to let this little girl go. This mother is never going to be able to care for herself. So she's never going to stop doing this. And I am more discouraged than I can tell you. And I'm just, I'm just weeping. I'm looking at this woman and I'm so, so mad. And so I say to the Lord, what is the problem? And I'm like crying out to the Lord. This sucks. This is so bad. Where are you? And the Lord says to me at that moment, very clear, I need you to listen. I need you to hear what I have to say. And I need you to follow it. Listen to my instruction. I need you to go under there and I need you to just wrap your arms around and love on this mom. Give my love to this mom. And I'm like, heck no. I'm about to walk under this thing and I'm about to do something to this mom, but it does not look like a hug. 
Because in this country, that's okay. And she was about, she was in some danger because people wanted her to sign this paper. And so I'm just like, I just don't. So I go, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. He's like, you have no idea how this is going to end. And so I crawl in. I'm in the mud, in the skirt. I'm in the mud. And I just go over and I, you know, she's thinking I'm going to try to take the kid, which, you know, I kind of wanted to. But I'm like, push around and I grab her and I hold her face and I just look in her eyes and I just say I love you Jesus loves you and she doesn't speak English she speaks Khmer I don't speak Khmer and I just begin to pray in the spirit I begin to pray in tongues she doesn't know what I'm saying I don't know what she's saying so neither one of us know what we're saying but I'm praying and I'm just crying weeping she just starts to cry she just starts to weep and she just just crumples into my arms and I just sit there, and the crowd just goes silent. It was the whole village. The crowd just goes silent. And I'm just holding her. And I don't even know what God is doing. All I know is he gave me an instruction in my discouragement, and I'm following it. And at some point, she looks up, and she says to somebody that's standing nearby, I'll sign the paper. And so we come out, and I'm like, great, sign the paper. Let's go. Let's get the kid, right? And so, and then the Lord is like, just a second. And so we start to pack up. She signs the paper. We're ready to take the kid. We got a safe house. We got all this stuff ready. And the Lord just says, like, you need to listen and follow my instructions. So I turn around. I'm like, put the mom in the car. Everyone's like, what? Put the mom in the car. Because I knew that we had found her family because her family also had to sign off on this. And so by the end of the day, I'm snapping a picture of this mom who had been reunited with her family, her older brother who had pledged and committed to care for her. And she was letting the little girl go to the, be in this safe house where she could be loved and educated and cared for and safety. And so not only was the little girl restored, but this mother was restored in the process. Because I has not seen nor ear heard what the Lord has prepared in these situations. And sometimes in our greatest points of discouragement, I has not seen. And your ear has not heard. And your heart cannot fathom what victory can look like here. And it was such, it's such an, even to this day, it's an amazing story. She visits the little girl growing up in safety. The mom was restored. I couldn't in my wildest dreams have discerned that that would be the outcome of this story. In my great discouragement, I could only see the, the horribleness of the situation. So today, it's more important than ever that we learn how to deal with discouragement. So I'm going to tell you a story. One of my favorite people in the Bible because this is church, so we're going to open the Bible. Tell you a story from the life of David, who is one of my favorite, favorite leaders. And I believe right now the world and its discouragement and its weariness needs great leaders who know how to deal with disappointment. So in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, 1 through 9, I'm just going to read it to you. When, it says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and their children and everyone else but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives 
I'm not even going to say it, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it, and then David asked the Lord, should I chase after the band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor. Now let me give you a little bit of backstory on this. So David was the anointed king of Israel, but he hadn't actually taken the throne. The current king, Saul, was chasing him. He was an outlaw. He was outcast. He was, his life was constantly in danger. And all of these men, but he was a great leader, so men were really drawn to him. So David gets this great idea that he's going to go to the enemy, the Philistines, and he's going to actually look like he's part of the Philistines, but not really because they're actually just covert spies. So in the battle, everybody thinks David is fighting for the Philistines, but he's actually fighting against them. So David has 600 men that have decided to follow him as an outcast and an outlaw and out everything. He's just out, but 600 men are following him. So the king of the Philistines thinks, I think this guy is great. I'm going to give him this place called Ziklag where he can put his wife and his kids and his family and he can have a home. So he gives them this town called Ziklag. Now David was going out to fight with the Philistines and the king was, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't think I'm going to be able to get out of this. So God delivers him and just has the king find it in his heart to go, you know what, you shouldn't fight with us. You should go home because I think there's people that might be uneasy if you're fighting with us. So he's like, yay, God just gave us a great victory. I don't have to fight against my people. I'm like, get out of this one. And they take a five-day journey home, and they're tired, and they come up to their town, and they realize that it's destroyed, and everything they own and everything they love is gone. Now, here you have a man who is, David was just, he was a man after God's own heart. Even though he was outcast, he was an outlaw, he was all these things, he was faithful to God. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He refused to raise his hand against the king. He, he followed what God wanted him to do. He was a righteous man. He was fighting for Israel. He was doing everything right. He was God's anointed. He was God's favored. And he, and he, and he gets to the town. Like, what is right about that? I think sometimes when we're not behaving so well and we're looking at the results, we could go, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I totally did that. That makes sense. Because that action usually ends up that way, right? And we can still be disappointed in ourselves. We can have that internal narrative that's like, oh, man, you shouldn't have done that. But it makes sense. But does this make sense? This is David. He's the man after God's own heart. What just happened. And the discouragement was so great that they literally had no more tears. And the 600 men that were with him, now they handled the discouragement in an interesting way. They decided to turn around and blame David. It's your fault. Oh, this must be your fault. Oh, because we were following you. Look what happened. We lost everything. This must be your fault. Now these were, and these were men who had volunteered. They weren't forced to join David's army. They were following him because they believed in his leadership. And then all of a sudden, they've lost everything. And so they begin to, they said they even want to stone him. So can you imagine the internal narrative in David's mind? Like, yeah, you're right. 
man, I'm a horrible leader. I shouldn't be leading these guys. I shouldn't be leading these men. I shouldn't be in this position. What was God thinking, thinking that I was supposed to be king? Like, there is no way I could be king. Can you imagine the internal narrative that was, that was warring with discouragement in his mind? I mean, can you imagine if you had 600 men that followed you and all of a sudden you realized that every single one of them lost their wife, their kids, and everything they owned because they chose to follow you? Can you imagine how discouraging that could be? We're seeing people around us lose things left and right, and one of the things they sometimes do is they turn and they blame everyone else. It's your fault. It must be your fault. It must be because I live here. It must be because I follow them. It must be because I live next to you. It must be because I married you. It must be because I'm in this family. They just start to blame in their discouragement everyone else. It says, but David. So, so the first thing I just want to say, there's four things. I got to remember that. There's four things that we do when we're facing discouragement like that. And I joked in the first service that they all start with F. <laughs> so we're going to talk about four F words today to deal with disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it's like, because I'm old. I could do that. Like, old lady, you know how old ladies can say anything they want and, you know, people don't get mad at them. <laughs> they can cut in line. They can do anything they want. They're like, I'm old. Let me do that. And so let me say that. And you're like, yeah, she's just old. She has no filters anymore. <laughs> and so. <laughs> filters are old. So anyways, we're in about four F words to deal with disappointment. And it is four, not three, because three starts with the T. So the first one is we want to feel the dis we want to feel what we're feeling. When when life hands us a disappointment, we want to feel it. We want to be able to be aware of what we're feeling. You know, there's sometimes where I'll sit in my office and I'll go, you know, you're hurt because that was really hurtful. Like, you're sad because that's a really sad thing that just happened. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not weak. Like, grief is not ungodly. I want to say that again. Grief is not ungodly. Like, feeling hurt or feeling sad or feeling weak or feeling tired or feeling angry even those aren't signs of a weak Christian faith. Those are signs of our humanity. Jesus wept. Jesus got angry, right? So those are, are, in our human existence, we have feelings, and it's important. The very first thing that we do is to understand, man, that was tough, and I'm hurt, and I'm disappointed, and I'm sad. So being aware is a sign of health. It's a sign of health in our Christian walk. So what David did was they wept until they had no more tears. David allowed himself and his men to grieve, and that was really important. So the first thing when we face disappointment that leads to discouragement is let's just decide that we're going to figure out that we're going to feel what we're feeling. And let me tell you, if you have somebody that's going, that just is going through a trauma because there's a lot going on right now, um, let's not rush them through. We don't want them to get stuck in the grief because we move on with that grief, right? We're still moving forward, but let's not rush that through. Let's feel with them. Weep with those who weep is basically feel with those who feel, right? So remember, grief is not ungodly. The second word, it says when David's men tried to stone him and they're blaming him and everyone's a mess and David is like, even my wife and kids. So there's external things. People came in and they burned my village and they took my stuff. There's internal things. I miss my wife. I miss my kids, and I'm so afraid. I was a horrible husband. I'm a horrible leader. There's all of these things, and he's dealing with this, and it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. So he didn't turn to blame 
he found strength in the Lord his God. So that's the next thing that he does. He weeps and then he finds strength. So the word shazak is to prevail, harden, be strong, become strong, be courageous, be firm, grow firm, be resolute. See, David did not find strength in himself. He didn't strengthen himself by thinking about his strength. Because remember, David was a great warrior. Like they wrote songs about him. Saul killed a thousand, but David killed 10,000. So David didn't turn around and go, hey, everybody, like I killed my 10,000 men. Start singing the song. He did not find his strength in his strength. He found his strength in the Lord. Because sometimes when we're going through things and we're feeling like, I just don't think I have it. Maybe you don't. You probably don't. Maybe you don't have it. Okay. Let's find strength in the Lord, right? Because if we're going to look in the mirror constantly, we're only going to see, the best we're only going to see is ourselves. <laughs> and so, and I think you're all great looking, but sometimes we can't find our strength in our strength. We got to find our strength in the Lord. And this is what David did. So he's fighting. So I often say that the war, when we're facing challenging circumstances, the battle is not God in the circumstances. The battle is what we believe God to be in the circumstances. So our battle is not necessarily God, God work, God work, God work. It's God, who are you in this circumstance? See, in that circumstance, what I was talking about earlier, like that was a horrible circumstance, right? Man, God, change this circumstance. Change that right now. And I had to remember who God was in the circumstance. See, God is good. He's always good. He never changes. If he's done something before, he can do it again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is where my help comes from. I refuse to believe that God isn't for me. So what is it that I believe about God in this circumstance? Can I trust him? And can I crawl in the mud and do something that is so counter to my personality? If you guys know me, that is so, I'm going to save that kid. I don't care what I have to do. And so what, what is it that could compel me? It's that I had to trust in who God was in this circumstance. And that took a little I got to tell you, it wasn't easy. It, it was a challenge. Um, I love T.D. Jakes. He says, let me see what he says. Faith must always pass the test of discouragement. How many love T.D. Jakes? He's so great. I just feel like he wakes up in the morning and has bright things to say. And I'm like, I, you know, I know that. I just never really quite said it that way. But thank you, T.D. So faith must always pass the test of discouragement. Right? So we get where our faith is. And then there's a discouragement in our way. And we're like, no, man, I'm going to choose faith. I am going to fight the fight of faith for this. The battle is not about the circumstances. The battle is about who you believe God to be in the midst of your circumstances. So when you're, if you're fighting a battle today of discouragement, refuse to believe that God is not for you. Refuse to believe that what you see and what you hear is all you're ever going to see and all you're ever going to hear. Because the Bible says that you have not seen and you have not heard what God is about to do. Amen? Amen. The third thing is focus. Oh, this is my favorite line in this whole thing because I love to teach 
leadership. David is my ultimate favorite leader in the Bible, obviously second to Jesus. Jesus should always be your favorite leader. But then after Jesus, because that one doesn't kind of count, the who is your next favorite leader? It's David. David is my favorite. So here's my, here is my favorite line. He looks at Abiathar the priest after he encourages himself in the Lord. And we're going to look at some Psalms and see what David's encouraging times look like. He says this, bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod, Abiathar the priest. So let me tell you about the ephod. So the ephod was a robe that the priest used to wear. They would put it on when they were going into the presence of God. And when they were going into the presence of God, they were going in as a representative and a leader. See, David didn't have to wear the ephod every time he was with the Lord. He could pray to his God. He could spend time. He was writing psalms. He was singing. But when David was, was wanting to represent his entire community, his land, the nation that was following him, his gatherers, you bring the ephod because the ephod was the symbol of that priesthood that was going in that was representing everybody. So when David first encourages himself, and he's like, okay, I'm encouraged in the Lord. Now bring me the ephod because I'm about to lead. Because I got people who want to kill me right now. My men are so discouraged. They're ready to stone me, but I'm about to lead. So he encourages himself. He fights for who he knows God is. He decides to focus. He puts his focus on the presence of God. And he says, bring the ephod, let's go in and let's seek out the Lord. Let's, let's get our eyes off the circumstances and let's get our eyes onto the Lord. Let me, I thought it'd be fun just to read a couple Psalms. So we have a glimpse of what David looked like in his quiet time with the Lord. So Psalm 142.1 says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. God, this is horrible. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, who, in God whose word I praise. When I am afraid, you think David was afraid? Oh, yes, he was afraid. His wife, his kids in the hands of the enemy, his men want to kill him. Is he ever going to make it back from this? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He said, like, oh, taste and see means intentionally experience with a heart to discern the goodness of the Lord in this situation. That's what David is saying. David is saying, when my enemies surrounded me, when my bones were weary, when I was feeling like I was in the pit, when the cords of death surrounded me, God, you brought me into a safe place. You covered me. If you read any of the 12 Psalms that David wrote, he was like, God, God, this is so horrible, but you, God, are faithful, but you are the God who always rescues me. See, David wasn't shy about telling God, okay, I'm so not happy about this situation, God. I said, God, you have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem, God. There's a little girl that's, that's in a really bad situation, God. You have a problem, but I know who you are. Nothing is too difficult for you. And the way that you're going to handle it is probably not the way that I would handle it. It probably looks different than how I would handle it. Amen. 
for that. And so you can read the Psalms of David and you can know that when David decides to focus on the Lord, he's like, I'm going to get my eyes off the circumstances and I'm just going to focus on who God is. I'm going to focus on the presence of God. And the last thing is follow. See, David goes to the Lord and he says, God, what should I do? Should I follow them? And I'm thinking when I read this, yeah, duh, like, yeah. I mean, would I ask? Would I have asked God if I should follow them? <laughs> I don't think so. My husband's like, no, she wouldn't ask. She just like, she'd have been out the door. Like, I'm gonna go get my kids right now and don't get in my way. But David decides to ask, God, what should I do? Because sometimes the obvious isn't the answer. Because sometimes God has something greater and bigger and something that shows who he is to a world that desperately needs to see who he is a little bit better than what you are thinking about doing. So David stops, and this is this, this nuance. Would you think about asking God, should you go get your wife and kids that you know are alive? I, I, I'm just going to say no. I don't think I would have asked him. I would have gone and said, hey, God, are you coming? Are you coming with me? Come on, get in the car. Let's go get my kids. And so he asked the Lord, and then the Lord says, yes, go get them because you will surely succeed. You will surely get them back. And so I love verse 9 because remember, I think, it's for, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter like 27 or something. It talks about David and his 600 men that were with the Philistines. And then they all come back and they're all wanting to stone him. But then verse 9 says, David and his 600 men all took off for the brook Besor. They all took off to go get their people. So there was a group of men that were so discouraged that they wanted to kill him. And David goes into the presence of the Lord to deal with his discouragement. And the result is that 600 men found the courage to stand up, get on their horses, and follow the man they were just ready to stone to go get their stuff back because they believed that God was in it, because they believed in his leadership, and they saw him go to the Lord and, and inquire of the Lord, and they trusted his leadership because they watched him feel with them they watched him fight for the reputation of the Lord and the truth of who God was in their midst, right? They watched him do that. They watched him inquire of the Lord. They watched him be ready to follow. They watched his focus. He was focused on the Lord. And they were like, that's a man I can follow. And not only that, hope starts to spring forth. Because remember, disappointment where you lose hope becomes discouragement, and discouragement will disable you. Disappointment that causes you to lose hope will land you in discouragement, and discouragement, if left unchecked, will disable you. And they were disabled. But when David handled discouragement in a right way, they were encouraged Courage was in their heart. Hope came into their heart. They're not going to chase these guys into their death if they don't believe they're going to succeed. So somehow these men found hope, and the thing that was in the middle of wanting to stone David and getting on a horse to go get the enemy was his leadership in that moment. And so I just have to say that the world today, 
There's a lot of discouraging things out there. The news, you can find bad news if you want it. And people are like, oh, it's just the news. The news is so bad, depending on how you listen to. But we all know real-life people who are going through real-life things that are real-life sad and real-life hard, right? The economy, finance, families, like all of that, we're all facing a little discouragement. But I can tell you that the Church of God, we can deal with that in a way that says to the world there is hope. There is hope. Because the Bible says of the increase of his government, Jesus, there shall be no end. Of his government and of peace. He is the prince of peace. He is still in control. Last I checked, he still loves his church. We are his bride. Pastors are part of the fivefold ministry. The kingdom of God is advancing. The word of God and his glory is going on in the world. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are getting saved every day and they're coming to the knowledge of God. They are. So we as leaders... We can deal with our discouragement in a way that allows us to be real because we don't want to be like, oh, it's okay because God is there. Don't do that. Deal with your discouragement in a way that is real. Remember, I'm going to remind you, there's four things. Feel when you face disappointment that's leading to discouragement. Remember that grief is not ungodly. It's okay. Take a minute. Fight. Refuse to believe that God is not for you. Fight. Your fight is for what you believe about God. Fight the good fight of faith. Focus. Lean into the problem solver rather than the problem. Right? Begin to focus and be like, God, this is who you are. You are so good. This is who you are. Now I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to lean into your presence. Stop leaning, on the prob leaning into the problem. And the last thing is follow. Ask God for his direction. And then follow it. Trust it. It might, not, it might seem crazy. Crawl through the mud and hug a woman who an entire village wants to kill. And then see what happens. And I got to tell you, one of the most encouraging pictures in my phone is that woman with her family waving goodbye. With her daughter, with the extended family who had lost track of her now restored, their daughter going off to a future. It wasn't actually, I got pictures in my phone of me with the little girl and we're at the house. But that picture is one of the most encouraging pictures in my whole life. Because it was born out of a moment of great discouragement. I never, in my mind, I could imagine what that, what it would be like to take our little girl to the home that we had prepared. We literally, this church raised money to prepare a place for her that sat empty for four months. And in my mind, I kept imagining walking through that door and having that princess bed spread and that twin bunk bed and other kids like her. She had, she had Down syndrome. She'd never spoken. There was a lot there. And other kids coming in behind, I could picture that. But I never in my wildest dreams pictured the mother restored and a family reunited. I just couldn't dream that big. And that was born out of discouragement. I was a little mad. It was hot. My stomach wasn't feeling great. I slept in the back of a truck several nights. And all of that that led to discouragement 
made the sweetness of the victory so amazing. <laughs> it was like, God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared. Like we can't even imagine. So if you're facing discouragement, yeah, that's so good. God is amazing. So I just want to encourage you today, man. The world needs leadership. Like the world needs us to lead in an unafraid manner. It needs us to be that person that can face discouragement. Your families need you to show them. The under 35 men that want to quit the ministry need us to show them there is hope. It's okay. We can do this. We can beat this discouragement. Don't quit. Don't faint. Don't move. Don't go. Don't run. Stay. Stay. We can do that. This is why it's so important right now. It's so important right now. So will you stand with me right now as we end? Oh, I just want to take a minute. If you're facing discouragement, maybe, maybe it is. Like you didn't get that job. You lost your job. Things aren't going well. Your marriage just not going so hot. You have a kid who you've been praying for so long and you're just about ready to give up hope. Don't give up hope. Oh, don't give up hope. I was that kid. Don't give up hope. Whatever the situation, you just cannot imagine what it looks like on the other side. If that's you, if there's something that you have just said, it's, I'm just so discouraged. I just can't find the hope to continue. I'm ready to just walk away from it. Uh, can you just come down here right now? The first service we had people come down. We're just going to pray with you. We're going to agree with you. We're going to believe God. We're going to lean into him. We're going to pray with you, for you, around you, surround you. Come on down. And we have prayer people that are going to prayer people, prayer people, <laughs> prayer team that's going to come and surround you. So come on here if that's you. If you need prayer for anything, you can come on down. We'll pray with you. So can you just stretch your hands out to these people, these lovely, sweet people? Hey, it's okay. It's okay. God, we just speak strength. We speak strength and encouragement to you right now. God is not, has not turned a blind eye to you. He has not turned a blind eye to you. God sees your disappointment. He is close to the brokenhearted. He sees your situation. He's in the middle of it. He's in the center of it. His hand is upon you. He is at work behind the scenes. You may not be able to see it, but we can know it. I just speak just healing for your hearts, restoration for your hearts right now in Jesus' name for those things that you hold so dear. God, we just thank you for breakthrough right now. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. We speak hope into their hearts, God. Bless them. Minister to them right now. Touch their hearts, God. The things that are important to them are important to you. Says something from the Lord. The things that are important to you are important to him. So, God, we just thank you. We praise you right now. We love you, God. We love you, God. Your eyes are upon them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And while they're just being ministered to, 
I just want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, while Julius is going to play just a couple minutes, you can come on down to the altar and we'll pray for you, with you and agree with you. But this week, your activation, if there is anything that you are discouraged with, just agree for one week. Take that thing to the Lord. Allow yourself to be aware. Feel what you're feeling, right? Fight for who God is, right? Do that. Focus. Focus on what he can do, will do. Put your focus on him, not the circumstances, for one week. And then ask him what to do and follow. We're going to beat discouragement this week. Amen? Amen.